10th. This is our third episode of the Great Chicago Rebuild. My name is Logan Bradley with my co-host Alex Moss. Hello. Always nice to be here. How was the weekend, Alex? It was good. I um, I took in a Cubs game yesterday, which I don't necessarily love, but... Um, I think this is now the second Cubs game that you've gone to that you've mentioned on the podcast. Do you care to talk about your allegiance? I No like White Sox the- games <clears throat> in between either. I view my role as like an undercover cop type deal or, you know, like uh, like an embedded reporter, like who's in, who goes to a war zone, you know, that's how I justify it. That's fair. And I mean, I guess I can't really say anything because I did just go to a Cubs game about two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, I hate to, I feel like I am cheating on my team every time I go and they win and I have a good time, but I hate it Yeah, every second of it. All right, today we're going to talk a little bit of Bears to start off, a little bit of NBA Finals and how exciting and riveting <laughs> that was. Uh, afterwards, we're going to get to an interview with John Eli, who's a uh, pitching coach for the Great Falls Voyagers, the rookie ball team for the White Sox. We're going to talk some prospects, some of his playing career, so uh, stick around and we'll get to that. But to start off... Something that has been talked about a lot is this Monday morning quarterback article about predicting records for each NFL team. And interesting enough, they had the Chicago Bears at 4-12. I'll read the, the little blurb. They said, the Bears got a better at crucial positions they had to get better at the offseason. Chicago brought in Taylor Gabriel, Allen Robinson, and Trey Burton to help their second-year quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. The offensive line took a big hit, losing guard Josh Sitton, and the defense, while improved with Roquan Smith at linebacker, still needs to find a pass rush it may take more than one year to get or for this group to gel all fair points but four and 12 do you think that's fair could be i know we're we kind of disagree on the trajectory of the bears this year i think everything's moving in the right direction but i do think we're we're kind of in the beginning stages of it's going to depend on how trubisky does you know hot take your quarterback's got to be good and if he's getting the ball into the playmaker's hands, we have those now. I think Allen Robinson's going to have a huge year. I think Gabriel will um, at least spread the field out. I think Tariq Cohen is going to have a huge year. But all of that depends on if Trubisky's finding guys down the field, keeping the offense on the field. Do you? Th- I, I mean, do you think that their pa- lack of a pass rush really could that, be that big of a deal that they the, would end up at four and twelve? That's though? the part I don't necessarily understand because i think leonard floyd is starting to come into his own how many sacks do you think he's gonna have so in 2016 his rookie year he had seven and 12 games 2017 he had four and a half and 10 games i mean this season god knows how many games he'll play because he hasn't shown yet that he's been able to stay healthy for a full season but say he plays 14 games for the Bears' defense to be good, I mean, he has to be pushing double-digit sacks, so I'd like to think that he can get 10 I this think next he can get year, 10. which should be a, a pretty good milestone for him. That would help the defense a ton because I don't really know where else those sacks are going to come yeah. from. I know that there's guys that can step up, like Kylie Fitz. They got Bilal Nichols, who's, those are two guys they got in the draft, but mm-hmm. you know, later-round picks. So if they don't come from him, then we're definitely going to be in trouble, even if some guys step up. I think what you said in the beginning there, we have to stay healthy. I am so sick and tired of watching our Bears team with that has the talent and has the potential to, I think, win a bunch. Of, I think I think best case scenario for the Bears, they all stay healthy. Everything clicks. Trubisky looks like he's going to be a B-plus game manager with 
um, in that case, we're then so we're ten far and six. From, but yeah. that's not going to happen. No, but even if the worst of the worst happens, four yeah. and twelve. I like think six, that, I. I mean, I originally picked us at six and ten. Yeah, I think I said something ridiculous like ten and six, eleven and five. Or something I think that's just such time, a guess. perfect. It is. It is. It's it's a perfect that, scenario, and it's kind of how entering this sock season. It, it was. Yeah. I remember being mm-hmm. like, oh, like if everything spins right, the Sox could probably win like eighty-one games and right. go five hundred, and. That couldn't be more off and more wrong, but like you were saying with the injuries, do you think Matt Nagy has just had a little powwow with the training staff and been like, hey, get it together? The training staff has to... I don't know if you can have so many injury-prone players on one roster and still think that it's just, you know, oh, that's just bad luck. Like, work out or do something that doesn't make you do that. Stretch, do a little rehab... Do some jumping jacks. Now we're saying these, these things like they're not doing them. Clearly, right. we get that they're doing yeah, them, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Geez, but something crap. changed. Something's got to happen here. Yeah. All right. Speaking of health, there was a little video of <laughs> yeah. of Kyle Fuller getting dusted just, by by Kevin White, but really in reality, it was like a three second clip where he just had a nice move off the line, <laughs> yeah. and people are like, "Ooh, Kevin White! Kevin White is making us fall for it again." Uh, one of two things happens that's this is what that video represents one kevin white's gonna tease us and we're gonna and he's gonna get hurt on the first play he's gonna pull a uh brandon or uh god brandon hayward gordon hayward and uh i'm horrible with names but yeah he's gonna do that and we're gonna have our hearts ripped out or kyle fuller isn't as good as we think i would rather have it be the first one i think i would too because we just spent a lot on guy who shows good promise i i don't know i i keep going back and forth on whether i like fuller or not he had a great year last year i can't take away from that but was he worth that money that we signed I'd say so i think we saw enough and we don't you, i don't think so we have any other options like that's Mara back and a couple other guys but he's yeah. he's better be a key piece or yeah maybe we will be four and twelve sports <laughs> illustrated maybe you were right i don't know we'll see we'll see uh, switching topics, going to the NBA Finals, and holy shit, how boring of a series was that? Uh, it just felt like a goodbye to her. I mean, LeBron's gone. He cannot stay if he wants to. Man's 33? Yeah, 33. Didn't miss a game this year. Played 48 minutes for most of the playoffs, if not all the playoffs. And it wasn't even close. Game one, once they lost game one, we knew it was over. But, I mean, th- he has to leave Cleveland. Do you buy the hand injury story? Because after the game, after game four, he was dapping up his sons. He was giving some hard high fives. Yeah, I've I never know. broken my hand, but that has to hurt a little bit. Um, I've broken my wrist, and it is hard to do. It's hard to be as nimble with those handshakes with a broken wrist slash hand. Yeah, I bet. I here's my. Th- he probably bruised it pretty bad. It probably hurt. I don't think he broke it. I think he was probably piping hot mad. He punched a blackboard so hard. Yeah. But I don't I'm surprised think he, he didn't punch more than that. He could I'm have been like J.R. Smith and like pour soup on Tyron Lue's head. <laughs> he could have done how, a lot of things. But amongst all of this, how funny is it that, I mean, the Warriors just won in dominating fashion, but we're sitting here talking about LeBron James. He uh, rules the world. He rules and basketball. I think the funniest thing is going to be when he signs with the 76ers, the Rockets, whoever it is, probably other than Cleveland. You're going to be able to go back on Twitter, find all these different people who are fans of the team that he signs with, and find all the tweets that are just like, screw LeBron, mm-hmm. like, soft as shit. He yeah. 
He's constantly flopping, and then as soon as he signs, it's like, LeBron James, let's go. <laughs> go. Let's go. Yeah. So I don't want to hear anybody criticizing him if, if you're going to be pulling for your team to sign him. If you're, if you're in like, the LeBron sweepstakes, you better keep your God. Yeah. Like, I've, I'm have i lukewarm towards LeBron. I've criticized yeah. him. But it, the minute, if he was to sign with the Chicago Bulls, I'm a, I've been a LeBron fan I've for life. Got, yeah, I've been, <laughs> I'm a life wearing headbands. I'll start kind of cutting my hair with the receding hairline. <laughs> I also like LeBron as a human being outside of basketball. As a basketball player, though, he's doing things that we've never really yeah. seen before. I also, th- actually, this is kind of a funny debate. I'm playing a lot of NBA Jam 92 oh. these days on Super Nintendo. And we're, we're talking, is it, would it be kind of fair to say that, you know, everyone talks about how hard the 90s were and they were beating each other up and stuff. Would it be possible that LeBron would have been better in the 90s and Jordan would have been better today. It's funny you say that because I was watching Michael Jordan highlights last night, and he he physically. Yeah. I mean, how much smaller is he than or was he than Quite LeBron? A bit. Uh, it, like a decent six, amount. It just yeah. just muscular wise when they're in their prime. Right. LeBron is built like a brick shit house. He's and so I, I think that there might be some truth to that. But mentally, you yeah. talk about the mental game. I don't know if he wouldn't have been would have been able to handle it as well, but. I really don't want to get into a LeBron Jordan debate right now. I don't either. Don't want to do that. Other things to do with our lives. Yeah. So who's going to win next season? (laughs) Who you got winning the NBA next season? Well, if LeBron goes to Houston, that's a joke and I won't watch. I I don't know if I'll watch basketball. I'll watch basketball. (laughs) You definitely will. will. Everyone will. I will. I'll watch like a car accident. (laughs) It's just my... People watch, keep you know the Kardashians and all that. I love the NBA. Yeah, you don't. Um, but if he goes to the Rockets, that's a joke. I hope he goes to the Sixers because I think that's the best. That's best case scenario for not only him but for the two stars that they have. Colangelo just stepped down. About time. <laughs> yeah, that took um, about six, took... seven days. Too long. However long since yeah. that story broke. Yeah, you read that story and you just and you're like, oh well, it's him and he needs to go anyway. I think that would be the best fit for not, for him, the franchise, the Sixers, which have they've been so bad now for so long and are finally getting great to have him. I think it'd be great for the league. That's a much more competitive finals game, final series between the Warriors and the Sixers. An interesting report that came out yesterday, and who knows the accuracy of it, but I think it was Chicago Sun-Times was reporting that the Bulls are less than impressed with Chris Dunn's work habits so far this summer. And there's a lot of people who have said this might be a smokescreen for the draft. People, maybe they're trying to make people think that they're going to draft a point guard or something oh, like I that, like a, to, a Trey Young or a Colin Sexton. But just interesting, and God knows that, that there's never a, or a lack of drama with the Bulls. Uh, it's Yeah, it's unbelievable. I really loved Chris Dunn last year. It's sad to hear some of these reports that he's not put in the effort i haven't looked at a whole lot of them but you know shortcutting his way through workouts so far is what they're saying they're thinking about adding a new point guard in the draft i don't think it Trey screams owns, yeah it screams a, a smoke screen report to me to me i think you're right which i don't really know what it accomplishes but it's interesting I don't either and i don't think sexton is going to be a franchise point guard what i will forever remember him for is the game when Everybody on Alabama's team fouled out or was kicked out of the game, and he was playing with him and two other people. Yeah, and for the did rest of the game, well. and was dominating. Yep. There's my yeah. scouting report. That's on right. Collins That's right. I think the Bulls are 
destined to be the fourth seed in the East for the next, you know, that's like the, if that I think was the, the highest next ceiling. Year, that would yeah, be no, fantastic. no, no. Um, that's the ceiling. It reminds me a lot of the teams with Ben Gordon and Kirk Heinrich that were just, they were fine. They were competitive and they were bounced in the first or second round of the playoffs every year. That would be depressing, depressing. <sighs> it's never been a, never been rainbows to be a, a Chicago sports it fan. It sure hasn't. No. Nope. All right, so we'll get to our interview now with John Eli. Hope you enjoy. All right, so we are joined by John Eli, the rookie ball Great Falls Voyagers pitching coach in the White Sox system. John was a third-round pick of the White Sox back in 2007 and definitely probably feels forced to do this podcast because he's going to be my brother-in-law. How you doing, John? <laughs> I'm doing good. No, I'm big. Big fan of the podcast. Listen to uh, an, ep- an episode and a half. You guys, you guys are phenomenal, and I'm uh, it's an honor to be on. Oh be well, that's flattering. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So we'll be talking a little bit of baseball, obviously today, because you might know a thing or two about that. But just to start off, we just had the uh, draft this past week, and coming from somebody who went through the whole process, kind of describe what once you're drafted, what is the timeline of what goes on from there. Well, you know, the, the draft process itself starts with this overwhelming excitement of the new, the completely newly opened door for the rest of your life. And then as, as soon as you get onto the scene of, of where, you know, it's just this completely different universe where college baseball and high school baseball, I mean, it's just a different world as, as far as, uh, as the way the game's approached, uh, the relationships between the players and the coaches and the players and the players. It's really a fantastic process that, that when you look back on it, not really all that many people get a chance to experience. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, for me, it was, it was uh, an irreplaceable experience. I, there, there's a huge process of it, though, that is developmental, and you don't understand that as you first jump in as a player. You really don't understand that until you start to, to really understand the game of baseball a little better, understand yourself as a player. I'm, I'm sure I can speak for a lot of guys out there right now I was in their shoes I was gripping the balls throwing it as hard as I could with everything I had to the glove and I really didn't I just, I just knew I could hit the glove with it and I had pretty good stuff so you talk about kind of like some of the things that maybe you were problems that you had when you first came in what are some of those common things that you know you especially now are going to have to work to fix since you're working with some of these guys that are pretty raw coming into the system. What are like the, the big pitching milestones kind of that you want to see from a guy when they first enter a system? For, especially with the White Sox, and then pretty much any organization you go across, you're going to hear the same thing, and it's ability to command the fastball. That's, that's the primary objective. It's actually a, a craft that people have gotten away from a little bit with uh, as they move up, if you have this great stuff, and you see a lot of guys with these incredible fastballs. When I was playing, it wasn't that long ago, maybe had a couple of guys on each staff that threw in the mid-upper 90s. Now it seems like everybody does it. So the command part of it, I guess it goes out the, it doesn't go out the window, but it hasn't been stressed as much. But we, we like to see fastball command over everything else. That'd be primary objective. That next thing would be being able to throw a secondary pitch for a strike whenever you want. Preferably a changeup. And a lot of guys have a breaking ball. 90% of guys, their best secondary pitch is a curveball or a slider. We then go to the, second, the next step, which is to develop that third pitch that you can use at some point if, if your other stuff's not working. I guess 
there's there's other things that you learn as you go. Once you can do all those things, and once you learn the game, which that's the other thing that, that nobody really tells you. That there's a there's kind of a dawning process of oh, gotta pay attention to way more stuff than I had to when I was in high school, or college. Uh, that would be another that would be another milestone. Talk to me about maybe like a guy or two who maybe you worked with last year who could be an under-the-radar guy that not many White Sox fans have, have heard much about because I know that you mentioned maybe a guy like Tyler Johnson, I think it was, last year that you worked with. and So who are a couple of those guys who you think could be good in the future who you're, you know, aren't your Michael Kopechs or Dane Dunnings and guys like that? There's a few. We got some, we got some diamonds in the rough. I mean, everybody knows the Dylan Ceases and Michael Kopechs and uh, the guys that are going to explode onto the scene here in the next year and a half or so, but there's some names out there. A couple ones that I, I know I worked with personally, or have seen and worked with uh, limited with limited hands-on time through instructional leagues or anything like that. One, one like as you mentioned, Tyler Johnson is a name I think you're going to see pop up on a lot of White Sox radar. It's got just an electric arm, and I mean he's got a fastball in, in excess of 100 miles an hour coming out of the bullpen. Once he learns how to put a wrinkle in it, throw something else for a strike. I, I could see this guy in the big leagues maybe a, maybe a year or two years. He's got you know, he's a competitor. Um, the other name I would bring up, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Lincoln Hensman. Lincoln Hensman's got a, a kid that was a closer at Louisville last year. Turned uh, turned into a starter. Uh, he's a three-pitch guy with a good man, repeatable. There's a lot of strikes, which you want to see in these guys. They're not, they're not afraid to pitch the contact. He's not exceptional. He, he, right now, I think he's leading the league in innings, and he's one of the top five in ERA as far as starters go in the South Atlantic League. This kid, I think, is going to be pretty special. Might hear his name pop up. And as far as others, uh, there's some big arms in the system. Um, you're going to see your Cape McClure's at some point. You're going to see your. Uh, there's a few other names that I'm, I'm sure I'm skimming over. Those are, those are some that you're going to. I want to say in the next year and a half, two years, you're going to start seeing that Triple A, Double A work group mix. Well, Hanson, obviously, everyone knows who Hanson is at this point. If you haven't been, if you're a white, yeah. white Sox fan that isn't living under a rock, <laughs> uh, I, I think this kid's special, man. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a hard worker. He's down here rehabbing. Should, should be back sometime sometime soon, as soon as he's ready, back into that double-A mix. And uh, I think this kid has number one or two starter written all over him. For, I mean, if, if not for us, for somebody, but... Hopefully for us, because kind of going off of that, maybe not so much about the sort of diamonds in the rough, but what makes an ace? Um, it's kind of funny. So when I back in my playing days, um, <laughs> I actually was fortunate enough to catch for uh, the Birdie brothers, Nick Birdie and yeah. Zach Birdie were both Downers Grove long shots with me, and um, it was just noticeable. Like everybody was good. And they had command, but those guys and the guys who are still playing today, there's just there there was something that was kind of hard to explain, other than the fact that they threw very hard and they could hit your glove wherever you put it. What do you look for? I guess what I'm trying to kind of ask is what makes like a guy like Kopech so much. Why are we all so excited about him, and why are we so excited about the Dil- uh, about the Dylan Ceases of our organization? That is a, that's actually a terrific question because I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of guys come up through each system with, with incredible arm talent, and a lot of them never make it out of A ball. I, I, I could think of probably five names off the top of my head that never sniffed, never sniffed double A that were able to throw in the uh, mid to upper 90s. He 
these guys, these guys are, they're different because mechanically they're sound, they're repeatable. They have multiple pitches that they can throw for strikes. They create deception. They have that X factor in whatever it may be. They're like uh, Michael Kopech's fastball, which, which has, I want to say it's like 11 inches above, above major league average of vertical carry, which makes you think that, I mean, this is, the hitter's seen a ball at zero. And he's throwing 11 inches above that when they're receiving zero. There, there's something special there. I was fortunate enough to pitch for or, uh, for three years on the same staff as Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> and, and when you watch this guy prepare the way, the way he does it, the preparation is a big part yeah. of it, too. It's a perfect mix of, of the talent you know, with the arm that he already has. The ability to repeat every single pitch the same way that looks the same out of the exact same arm slot. Throw those pitches for strikes and have each one of them... Yeah, I mean, essentially a put-away pitch at any moment. So you're that, saying, <laughs> if I'm able to repeat a 62-mile-per-hour <laughs> fastball, am I going to be a major league pitcher? Uh, I can say with a, a slight degree of certainty that you might have a chance. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And then Eloy will put it 550 yeah, feet over hit a the few more light posts. Yeah. Uh, something I want to ask about. I know that you've always been a big supporter of Rick Renneria. Can you kind of just basically explain why? Because with the losing that's been going on a little bit, the you know the big league clubs doing better now, but a lot of people are so quick to be like Rick Renneria is not the guy for this. Why? Why do you believe in Rick Renneria? First off, it's real easy. It's, it's always a manager's fault, and a good manager, it, it's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna let everybody know it's his fault. He's, he's gonna take all the responsibility, and, and unfortunately, I, I think Rick. Pretty raw deal on, on the north side when they, when they kind of kicked him. Sure I, I thought he was, he was a big contributor to what turned that organization around. It is an infectious attitude. He preaches the game being played the right way, and he's not afraid to call out even his superstars if they don't do it to that degree. He, he benched a Brave. Like, I mean, a Brave is, is he, he's, a, he's an all star. He's the best hitter we got at that level right now. And he didn't, he didn't run out of uh, a ground ball to shortstop. I want to say it was in the first week of the season. Maria benched him. That inning, that happened. He took him out of the game, put somebody in. I mean, he he holds these guys to a standard at, at every level, from the top down. And, it, and we, we see it. Minor league guys see it, and they say, "Well, you know what? This is why you got to play the game." Not only that, but he, he makes you believe in, in the way he talks to you, the way he just promotes the process that we're going through, and everything else. And he makes you believe that you know what? This isn't just all talk got something going here and this is the guy I want to follow he, he's a he's a natural born leader and I don't say that about a ton of people he's a guy you want not only in your clubhouse but you, you want him you want to lead your team and anybody that you talk to in this organization or other organizations is what is a really good telltale sign is to hear the people around the league talk about who he is as a person and as a manager I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say a, a bad word about him you know I think he's the right guy for the job but you know I'm also biased so one more guy, big league club that you kind of were mentioning when we were talking is Carlos Rodon. Just made his first start of the year uh, yesterday on Saturday. We're recording this on Sunday. Why were you saying that you were so impressed with him and and his rehab process? It's, it's been a two year process for him. I, I had him down in uh, instructor, not instructional, extended spring training the last two years. The first year, I think anybody that was there will tell you he didn't look right. And I had never seen him really up close and personal. The guy, guy's a, I mean, he's an intense competitor. He's the kind of guy you want and you look for as a top-round draft pick and as a, as a top talent. 
mentality-wise. However, the stuff was hit or miss the first year I saw him. It was all it was all very good, but he, he didn't use a lot of pitches in the strike zone all the time. It was a lot of deep count. Didn't put guys away like a big leaguer should put guys away at that level, even though the stuff was there. He, a lot of it was forced. This year, though, coming through the process, having a little bit more uh, sense of determination, sense of, of urgency to get out of there. I mean, he was repeating three separate, I mean, he had, he had that fastball, he has a little cut, he, had a, he developed this changeup, and I didn't see him last year. That I would definitely say is a plus major league pitch, and that slider, which is a, I mean, that's a premier slider that he has, that he can throw in the strike zone at any time. It was really good to see, and he was ahead of everybody. Once he got ahead, he, he didn't fuck, I'm sorry, he didn't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I get fired up by this stuff. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's hard to censor. But yeah, so, you know, I think he gets his legs under him, he gets back into that mentality of, okay, I'm back in the big leagues, it's time to go to work. You're going to see some special, some special uh, outings out of him. You might string some together. Hope so. All right. Transitioning towards your playing days, one guy that's been absolutely tearing it up, like kind of seeing a resurrection in his career, a guy that you played with, Matt Kemp. Just kind of talk about what, how is he doing so well now based off of maybe what his work, what ethic was like when you played with him? Uh, well, Matt, Matty's one of those guys that gets a bad rap sometimes, and I don't understand why entirely after being in the clubhouse with him and, and knowing that how hard of a worker he is behind the scenes. The year that he should have won the MVP, I think it was 2011 yeah. when Brian Braun stole the MVP from him, I don't. I, I don't really care. I'll go on record saying that because that, it was just. Uh, he, he probably knows it too. Yeah. But Matt should have won that MVP that year. What he was doing, I mean, he he was meticulous from his workout regimen to his diet. I mean, he was freaking. He was eating like a rabbit half the damn time. <laughs> but I mean, he was, he was he was on top of everything constantly, and he was so locked in. Well, when he left L, and his last year in 2012, he he got hurt. And any time any because I can speak from experience on that after going through surgery, it's, it's tough to stay locked in when something's hurting all the time and you can't really do what your your body isn't allowing you to do what you know you can do. It's disappointing for you and it's it's distracting. It kind of it can really it can really be a detriment to to that season. And then I think it just carried over once he got traded to Atlanta. Then we went to San Diego. You can see the difference in his body from then to now. He's in better shape. He's taking pitches that he wasn't taking when he was in Atlanta and when he was in San Diego. He, he was laying off pitches. His, his weakness was always chasing the, the, the slider down and away and getting beat inside on fastballs because he wants to extend his arms out and drive the ball to the opposite field. He wants fastballs away. Well, now he's taking those pitches two years ago. He's not able to. He's not able to extend on them. He's not able to get. He's not able to get to the barrel, the barrel of the bat to the ball, get his hands out there the way he was in 2011. But he's back to that point. If you, if you just watch his abs. He's he's watching. He's, he's taking taking those pitches that he knows he can't, knows he can't get to, and he's making the pitcher pitch to his strength by laying off the ones he knows he can't get. And the more the more you watch him, I and if you if you listen to that, the more you watch it, you'll be like, oh well, that does make sense now because. A couple of years ago, he was allowing guys to beat him on the pitches they wanted to throw. Now he's going out there and making them hit their spot perfectly, or he's laying off of it. And then eventually, always trying to sneak cheese past the rat. 
<laughs> he just makes you pay for it, you know. So no, it's, he's back to doing it. It's really good to see because I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of guys out there better than Matt as a person and as a clubhouse and a teammate. John, did you play with Mookie Betts? Yeah. He seems, believe it or not, Matt decent Kemp, at baseball. Decent at baseball, but yeah. no. <laughs> funny enough, uh, Matt Kemp was like my favorite player growing up, um, and then he got hurt and he kind of disappeared. I've actually, I have uh, watching Mookie play this year. I've actually thought to myself, he looks like a young Matt Kemp, or at least like kind of has that sort of production. What do you see, like? What sort of on the other side of like pitching aces, but with young position players, and maybe you know, obviously you've got the eye for for pitching. Is it more about preparation for guys like that, and like are they spending more time in the film room and like studying pitches, or is it one of those things where physically they've figured it out and their timing is right there, and they just square the bat up on the ball, or is it obviously a combination of all those things? It's a it's a combination for sure, and I think that you get it right there. He's he's naturally more athletically gifted than almost anybody I've ever met in my life. He has that going for me. Uh, it was I think six years ago the kid was hitting two ten in rookie ball. He looked and he looked terrible. Well, I'm going off what guys that I I know and trust have said about him. They're looking at him like he's believe it or not, I think he's a better second baseman than he is an outfielder. The kid. He's incredible. I mean, he was playing second base for us in Pawtucket, and once we realized where he did well, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a pretty good second baseman in Boston right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's going to play over. So they knew we could play the outfield, and he's, he's a plus defensive center, uh, center fielder or corner outfielder as well, which that doesn't, that doesn't happen a whole lot. What, makes, what separates him is the fact that he never makes a soft out, and he very rarely strikes out. We would, we would watch him in Pawtuck, and, and I remember me and Ryan Roberts were talking about this one game. We're watching him play, and both of us were like, God, this might, this might be the best player I've ever seen in the minor leagues at that time. And trying to put our finger, I was like, you know what? Every single time he's up, he's either seeing two ball count or he's barreling a ball, whether he makes it out or not. It's, it's a loud contact ground ball, or it's a, it's a, it's a freaking missile he's at somebody or it's a freaking ball that's carrying to the fence and somebody's running under because they played in that direction I mean the kid was, uh, you can see it right away he just his, his hand-eye coordination is off the freaking charts his his ability to stay balanced and not get fooled by by off-speed pitches when he's hitting fastball i would never seen anything like that in the in the minor leagues maybe other than once or twice and you knew right away when you were watching it that it was going to be special and when you said he's, he's very similar to Matt Cow, I think I think you're looking at something that's going to be better than Matt Kemp, too. I mean, I, I, I just don't... Oh, he, he doesn't, probably he doesn't, swing, as, he probably he doesn't swing and miss as much as, as, as yeah. Matt did early in his career. So yeah. I, that, that would be the difference. For yeah. me. I've got one more question, and, and let it be known, John played in the major leagues, mowed some, some serious, serious hitters down, but I have to ask you about one particular instance where... You may have given up a home run to Bronson Arroyo, and I just want you to describe what that felt like. I don't know if you, if you have the clip up. I don't know if you see me taking a roundhouse out of a clay in front of my. That's <laughs> <laughs> on the heels. I, earlier that game, I got my my first major league RBI off of Arroyo. No big I'm, deal. I'm, whatever it is, like it's like fourth inning or whatever it was. <laughs> it's like the, 
<laughs> so third or fourth inning, we're up one nothing. I'm, I'm in my head. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna freaking win this game on my own. Right. Three zero to Arroyo, and I throw him a freaking cookie. He, that was one of the farthest home runs I've ever given up. I mean, <laughs> He's like eight rows deep. You're kidding me. I was so rattled. I think I proceeded to give up like seven straight runs after that. So, really you know, gotcha. to answer your question, yeah, to answer your question, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, I, I hate to end it there. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for being a, a good sport. And let me ask you about one bad moment amongst a, a pretty awesome career. And uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. It was awesome. All right. Take care, man. So that was our interview with Great Falls Voyagers pitching coach John Eli. Played for the Dodgers, was drafted in the third round by the Sox. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Didn't get to ask him what he thought about the LeBron-MJ debate, but that's if, okay. We'll get yeah, there next time. If only. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that was a good time. Hopefully we'll be able to have a few more guests in the future, but we'll sign off for today. You got any uh, closing remarks? No. I recognize that, uh, you know, Yesterday, I was getting on John Lester a little bit. That Cubs game, he threw a one-hitter. So, he keeps, keeps shutting me up that he's, as uh, if he can only hear me talking trash. And if you're a Cubs fan, I'll take uh, I'll take a thank you note in the form of a Venmo payment. <laughs> exactly. You're, um, you're the motivator. I try and, sp- I try and uh, you know, I embrace debate. Spur him embrace on. embrace debate. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, still a bump, so it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, we'll catch you guys next time.